0: Oh, hi there, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, a weekly podcast that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call, and teachers everywhere, they're just counting down the days now, aren't they? Hey, don't forget to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter, and the Instagram, and of course the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash pod. Oh, have I got a trivia question for ye today. Yes, I do. Tell me, what rock band from the British Invasion did a commercial for Rice Krispies cereal in 1964? Now, let me be fair here. I don't think the ad aired in the U.S., but rather in England. But this was a band that had a couple of hits in the U.K. and had already scored at least one top ten hit in the U.S. by the time the spot aired. What band was it? Made a Rice Krispies commercial in 1964. I will have that answer at the end of the program. So we're talking Billy Joel today, and specifically scenes from an Italian restaurant, which is supposed to be one of Billy Joel's favorites among his own work, and it's certainly a favorite of the fans, even though it was never released as a single. Now those of you who pay attention know that this podcast originates from Baltimore, Maryland, but if you know me personally, well then you know I'm originally from Long Island, New York, which is why I tend to talk fast. And we on the island do take a little bit of extra pride in Billy Joel's, especially since he's a homeboy, right? We often know about the landmarks he mentions in his songs when he does mention them. For instance, in 1980s, it's still rock and roll to me. He talks about cruising the Miracle Mile, which is a specific strip of high-end stores in the town of Manhasset. Billy the Kid from 1974 brings up the town of Oyster Bay, and of course, his debut studio album is titled Cold Spring Harbor, which is a hamlet in the town of Huntington but there's been a little bit of controversy about the location of the restaurant he describes in Scenes from an Italian Restaurant, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that shortly. So up until the time that Billy Joel released his album The Stranger, he was a known artist in the rock and roll world, but he still hadn't really made his breakout yet. In an interview with USA Today, Joel has said he was inspired to write the song Scenes from an Italian Restaurant by The Beatles, specifically side two of the abbey road album now unless you've been living in a cave you know that the last half of that album side is composed of a bunch of songs that the beatles hadn't completely finished or maybe they hadn't really fleshed out the whole idea producer george martin asked them what do they have and john Lennon would say well i've got this and paul mccartney would say well i've got that and they all sat around and said hmm, we can put this together and this will fit in there and so forth So Joel has said that's pretty much what he did with scenes from an Italian restaurant. He had a few different songs that weren't really finished and he, inspired by Abbey Road, stitched them together into a reasonably coherent suite. A bottle of white A bottle of red Perhaps a bottle of rosé instead Get a table near the street in our own familiar place, you and I face to face. So, there's basically four different sections here. The, the first one would be this one. It's called Italian Restaurant. It's mostly piano with a little bit of accordion thrown in for atmosphere. It describes a couple of old friends who are seeing each other for the first time in a while in a restaurant which they presumably used to spend some time together. From there, it moves into an instrumental featuring mostly saxophone and drums, which I think in this case is the musical version of when your TV screen gets all wavy before a character starts telling a flashback story. The next section is often described as one big segment, but it's really two different bits since they do have slightly different musical styles going on, and it's actually two different songs stitched together again. The first part is called... Things Are Okay in Oyster Bay, that was the original title, even though Oyster Bay doesn't get mentioned here, but it's the same couple catching up with each other. Things Are Okay was a piece that Joel had written several years prior, but he hadn't done anything with it yet, so he updated the lyrics to fit this track. It's probably why Oyster Bay disappeared. It's quick, it's a little frenetic, and the combination of the drums plus Billy Joel banging out hard on the piano chords suggests that they're really kind of running through a checklist of topics of conversation. I'm married, check. Got jobs? Check. Got kids? Check. Hey, you look good? Check. Okay, now let's reminisce. Then he moves into talking about hanging out at the Village Green. Now, a lot of towns on Long Island seem to have some area like this, just a park-like spot with walking paths surrounded by trees, and it's usually called the Village Greens. And, of course, that's a common area where the kids would hang out. In Billy Joel's case, it's most likely the West Village Green in Hicksville, which is where he grew up. My Town didn't really have a Village Green as such, which is probably why so many of them just hung out in front of the 7-Eleven instead. The music changes again, which is why I think uh, Things Are Okay gets to be its own section, and now we've got more horns, got a lot of clarinet, and we start moving into the couple gossiping about another couple from high school named Brenda and Eddie. Of course, Billy Joel's kind of putting on his Long Island accent here, so she's Brenda and Eddie. In a segment called The Ballad of Brenda and Eddie. Now, in the story... Brenda and Eddie were the power couple in high school who basically peaked too soon and wound up going nowhere, both as a couple, but also with their lives. This part of the song mentions the Parkway Diner. Now, the Parkway Diner is a real place, or was, anyway. It was located in that fuzzy zone where the town of Mineola meets the town of Westbury. The location was close to the intersection of two different parkways, the Northern State Parkway and the Meadowbrook Parkway. And in the 1960s and 70s, if you were making the change from the Northern State to the Meadowbrook, well, the Parkway Diner would be a great place to stop off and pick up something before continuing on your trip. Because it was really easy to get off the Northern State, pop into the diner, and then jump back onto the Meadowbrook. Going the other way, it was a little bit more complicated. In the 1980s, the entire interchange was rebuilt so that the arrangement didn't really work out anymore. And the Parkway Diner was not a victim of that rebuild, but unfortunately, it does not exist anymore. If you go to that area, what you'll see in its place is a mobile gas station. Coincidentally, there is a diner next door, but it's not the same place. Now, the one element that doesn't really make sense to me is some of the activity in this segment here. Specifically this, okay? So Brenda and Eddie, they decide they're going to get married. People try to talk them out of it to no avail. So he sings. There we were, waving Brenda and Eddie goodbye. That's the lyric. They get married. They get an apartment. And yeah, deep pile carpet was one of those unfortunate decor choices of the mid-70s. And so on and on. And in the next verse, they divorce. And then they learn they're not the big shots that they used to be anymore. So they have to kind of gather up the remains of their lives and move on somehow. But then our narrator jumps out of the story to wrap it up and finishes... And here we are, waving Brenda and Eddie goodbye. So what happened there? Why are they waving goodbye to them again? Here's my theory, and I'm totally pulling this one out of my butt, just trying to make some sense of the lyric. If you've got something better, by all means, hit me up. I don't know. What I think happened is that Brenda and Eddie, realizing just how badly they have jacked up their lives, are actually taking a shot at reconciling. And that's why our narrator and his friend are at the restaurant in the first place. And that's why they're waving Brenda and Eddie goodbye, because they've just gotten remarried. It's not the best explanation, but it's an explanation. Finally, just as you think the song is over, it transitions yet again with a much richer sound involving lots of strings, and they're just soaring, and it settles back down into the piano and accordion music that opened up the song with some drumming thrown in. It's really just a reprise of the opening verse, but it starts to move into that transition again before finally coming to an end, and to me, again, just my opinion, that suggests that this is kind of a cyclical thing, it's all going to happen again. It's not so much a coda as it is what musicians refer to as a da capa, a return to the beginning. Maybe it's not all going to happen again to these characters, but to someone else, somewhere else. Incidentally, Joel has said that the song's line, a bottle of red, bottle of white, whatever kind of mood you're in tonight, literally came from a waiter in an Italian restaurant he had been in. The track overall comes in at just over seven and a half minutes, which makes it the longest of his studio tracks, and despite that length, it still managed to get plenty of airplay. So what is the restaurant that inspired the song, and why is there controversy around it? Well, several restaurants in the New York metro area have laid claim to this title, but they're really only two serious contenders. Here's the first one. When Billy Joel debuted the song for an audience, he was performing at Long Island University's CW Post Campus, which is in the town of Greenvale. CW Post, by the way, is just a couple of miles due east on the same road as the Miracle Mile he men- I mentioned earlier. Before he sang the song, though, he gave a little shout-out to a restaurant in the nearby town of Sayaset called Cristiano's. Let me tell you something. Cristiano's was coincidentally my go-to place when I was a young adult working in the area at the time. You could not bait bake their baked clams dish. Everything else was terrific. Oddly enough, the only thing I didn't like of theirs was the pizza. It wasn't bad pizza, but you could definitely do better. And Cristiano's was one of those places you could definitely picture in your head with the checkered tablecloths, the curved wooden bar, the Chianti bottles everywhere. Everyone's just glad to see you. So because of that comment, Christiano's has the first and probably the best claim to being the restaurant named in the song. However, Billy Joel has said a couple of times in interviews that he was talking about another place called Fontana de Trevi, which used to be across the street from Carnegie Hall on 57th Street in Manhattan. Now, when they were starting to put the Stranger album together, Joel used to meet with producer Phil Ramone there a lot, so he said that that was the inspiration for the song, suggesting that mentioning Christianos was kind of like shouting out Yankees at a New York City concert. So which one gets the prize? I don't really know. Uh, frankly, I'm leaning more toward Cristianos, if only because he's referenced so many other specific places on Long Island in his songs. And Cristianos isn't otherwise a famous place to eat. Like like Fontana de Trevi was a big deal place. Cristianos was like a little hole in the wall. It was tucked away on a side street. You had to know where you were going in order to find it. And that he might be referencing something a little bit more accessible to the public at large. I know it feels a little bit disingenuous at this point, but here's the fact Christianos is gone. Now Fontana de Trevi is gone. Now the parkway diner is gone. Now all that remains of this song is the village green in Hicksville. All right. One more thing. I guess I should mention that Brenda and Eddie did get a second life as the major characters in the Broadway show, moving out a jukebox musical based on Billy Joel's catalog of songs. The uh, show ran on Broadway for about three years, and in addition to Brenda and Eddie, we got to meet uh, some other characters from his songs, Anthony from the song Moving Out, and the characters James and Judy from the songs that bear those names. The setting moved to the mid-60s from the 70s, and it's not so much a traditional musical so much as it is a series of dances which are linked by the plot that stitches the songs together. None of the dancers even do any singing. That's instead done by a band up on a platform above the stage. So what you have is more like a jukebox ballet, I guess. I don't know. And now it is time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you about the British invasion group that made a commercial for Rice Krispies in 1964. Believe it or not, that group was the Rolling Stones. They were approached by the J. Walter Thompson ad agency to write a jingle for a commercial that appeared on British television. So Brian Jones uh, paired up with one of their ad executives and wrote a 25 second song for a serial ad. It's kind of a rocker. Check it out. Wake up in the morning, there's a snap around the place. Wake up in the morning, there's a crackle in your face. Wake up in the morning, there's a pop that really says nice. This is to you, and you, and you. For on the milk and listen to the snap that says it's nice. For on the milk and listen to the crackle of that rice. Get up in the morning to the pop that says it's right. Nice. Yeah, I actually like it a little bit better than the monkeys jingle for the same product, although they did appear personally in the ads, whereas the Stones did not. And that's a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you are enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with someone and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com. Oh, I forgot. I've got an email address, claude at howgooditis.com. That's right. Or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditispod. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. And finally, you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thanks, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, we're going to find out how good it is, even if you never even called me by my name. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time.